Hi, this is Garrett Wong. I played Ensign Kim on Star Trek Voyager, and you're listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. It's your deputy host, Angus, again. In honour of Rogue One, a Star Wars story, Natalie, Aaron and I decided to commit our thoughts to a podcast. Let's get to it. Today with me... The lesser podcast crew. Angus is Aaron. Hello. Hi, Aaron. Wait, Angus is Aaron. And Natalie. Hello, Natalie. Are you actually introducing me like this? Yes. Okay. And you it, two should always do the intros, by the way. I think uh, that would just be the best double act intro, and we should always do that. Really? Yeah. It could become the thing. It could really? become the thing that Neil Before Pod's known for. Oh, tell me more. <laughs> um, hello? Hi. Are supposed to still say hi? Yeah. Yeah, that's the point at which you say hello. Thank you. We're here today to talk about Rogue One again. Can I say that sounded a bit like a funeral? <laughs> Off to a good start. <laughs> so, pre-spoiler alert, let's uh, have your initial thoughts, your initial reactions to the movie. Erin, what did you think? I I wanted to like it more. I think I did <laughs> like it. I think that it suffered strangely from not having that coming home familiar effect that the that episode seven had you know there was no characters we already knew and it was it was so weirdly different for that um mm-hmm. but there's there's some things in it that i did still really enjoy okay natalie what, what about you i actually liked it because of the characters and not knowing who they were it was like it was like a new beginning for them mm-hmm. a new hope <laughs> well <laughs> yes indeed <laughs> led to that um no but i i did enjoy parts of it but then the bit where i thought it was going to end it didn't end and it kept on going for a wee bit so i don't know i think when i become aware of time and how long a movie is while i'm watching it i don't always feel like that's a good thing probably not no (laughs) but other than that i did enjoy it and i really want um main person's hate fit main (laughs) That's good knowledge. Jin. Yeah. I, I I think I was a victim of the hype. She's got a cool jacket. I I had this built up quite a lot and I you know, people that uh people's people whose opinions I trust told me that this was better than the Force Awakens. So I was kind of expecting an amazing uh Star Wars experience and I re- I did enjoy it. But even though uh, we've spoken about The Force Awakens and how it's a bit kind of derivative. I still think I enjoyed The Force Awakens more. Yeah. Uh, probably similar you to you, Aaron. You know, you, you mentioned the sort of feel of homecoming or the um, going back to these familiar characters. Um, I just don't think kind of lived up to, to what it had been build up, built up to me for. I wonder if it had too much of a 
bridge to get across for that first ever film that wasn't part of the main franchise. It was, it was almost like it was, it was not doomed to failure, but it was just such an ask to try and get something as that people were going to love as much as the characters you're already in love with. That yeah. you know, is that even going to be possible? I don't even know. Mm-hmm. I think it's quite possible that in time. You might, I might feel quite differently about it because it'll fit into the saga or, you know, it'll be a kind of, it'll be a sort of um, additional story that you'll just kind of see as the rest of it. But yeah, like you say, there's not very, there's, I suppose there's a couple of uh, characters, minor characters here and there that fit in, but yeah, just um, didn't feel, didn't feel the same. Somebody had to go first, I guess. So there was... Yeah, I don't know if there was a st- another story waiting in the wings, and and they just had to. Which one are we going to put out first? And this was what they thought was the best, or this was what they thought they could they they could afford to sacrifice. That would be interesting to know from the producers. Wait, we're supposed to be in spoiler free, right? Yes. Oh, okay. Why do you want to do you want to dive right into spoiler territory? Well, only because because we could call on Craig to sound the spoiler alarm and then you can as talk long as about it's not too loud because it always hurts my ears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to um, move on to spoiler territory? Wait, what does Aaron think? Aaron, I'm I'm struggling to say much more without yeah, going into talking about the film. So. Pretty difficult not to not to mention uh, you know important plot points. So um, okay, Craig, go fire the. Hooter or whatever you've got, and <laughs> we'll move into spoiler town. Okay, spoiler time starts with me. Okay, then. Natalie, you definitely so, had something spoilerific. You I say? can't remember what we were just talking about. What was it? Um, yes. So them bridging this gap that Erin was talking about. That whole like, it felt like it existed just to plug up every single plot hole um, mm. that people had brought up in the last like thirty years since it existed. The whole, like, how did everyone get into the Death Star? How did they manage to find that perfect little, like, weakness? And um, and part of me was a bit like, oh, they've actually just written this to sort of stop people ragging on their ass <laughs> about how people got into the Death Star. If how that's if- what they did, then that is really disappointing because there, there shouldn't be a need for that. It is space opera. Stuff well, happens yeah, because it happens. Yeah. That's that yeah. You don't need to fill the gap with detailed, space gritty opera. plot. Space well, that, opera. Is that, a real, is that a real term? That, yeah. That's, that's a real term. Great. Yeah. That's, that's great. That's great. I've never heard all that. This time. A space opera. But yeah, I know what you mean. I think obviously the first Star Wars film was kind of made without ever knowing that it would blow up into this massive franchise with uh, all kinds of merchandise and just sort of global following. And now, um, you know, having feeling like you've got to fill in the gaps and have prequel trilogies to uh, kind of tell what happened before and then, uh, you know, how we got, got to Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, it just it's, it's all very kind of strange to, to lead into a film that then was probably quite indie and out there at the time when it was made. No, I know what you mean, though. It is, like, really disappointing to think that they've, they've created it for, for that. And I don't think that they have created it for that purpose, but it didn't stop me from feeling that. And so well, I felt a bit kind frustrated. It's kind of as a as a side story that's not part of the main saga, but then it takes part, takes place, you know, alongside those events. Yeah, and it kind of leads right up to... 
the beginning of Star Wars, aka A New yeah. Hope. I really like that um, some of the footage from the movie is from like older Star Wars. I wonder if it was like the binocular scene or something like that. That footage looked pretty old. Yeah, I mean, they managed to capture the kind of feel of the originals, I think. And they do have bitching outfits. They do. <laughs> Good moustaches as well. Trying to recreate that kind of <laughs> 70s sci-fi look. Do what what if, um, do you think they actually tried to make this film more modern in some way to try and acknowledge that the audiences are different or they're they've grown up? Was it? I'm wondering now, thinking on it, was it actually space opera or was it more almost what you've described, literally an indie film of today rather than an indie film of the past? Yeah, I think it, it doesn't have the same kind of. Uh, I don't know, naivete or something that the, that the original did, mm. um, despite the fact that they're supposed to run together almost seamlessly. There is a yeah, they, There's a strange thing in the originals where you suddenly realise they are actually killing people, even though it feels like this family-friendly, everybody can watch it with your grand film at Christmas. And you, you just don't notice because it's got this almost innocence to it with the space opera. But yeah. I don't think I would have said that about Rogue One. But are you trying to say that you can't watch a film with your grandparents that's got killing in it? Because, like, what about all the grand people who, like, die hard? <laughs> well, I possibly had a more traditional grandma then who didn't want their six-year-olds watching death on screen right. somehow. Might not have been so happy with sort of laser blasters. Did you ever watch? Off. Did you ever watch The Snowman? Who dies of blaster shots in the snowman? No, but the snowman melts, and it's like so. It's so depressing. It's so. Yeah, but sad. nobody murders him. They don't put him in a <laughs> microwave just to see the bugger melt. I mean. No, but he's created by man, and then left out to be destroyed by the sun, which the boy knows is going to come up the next day. Yeah, but he doesn't specifically put him out there so he can watch him die and laugh as it happens. You know, it's not murder. No, I'm not saying laughing, but like, but it's pretty cruel and twisted. <laughs> sort of malevolent reading of the snowman, I think. Yeah. My mum puts it on every Christmas, and I'm always like, this is so depressing. Why do you get so much enjoyment out of this? Because you like watching the snowman melt, now we know. Oh god, honestly, it's so sad. But you love anyway. Home Alone and there's tons of violence in that. Yeah, but it's funny, <laughs> because they deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I digress. Um, well, where are we? I mean, yeah, like you said, the original was kind of about a guy and his dog that fly around in space. Um, Star Wars? Yeah, you know. Whose dog? Oh, don't call him a dog, he's a person! <laughs> well, he's based on George Lucas's dog. <laughs> uh, but you don't really get the same sort of road trip, um, you know, uh, sort of wacky adventure <laughs> so much in this because it's quite gritty. And oh my god, I don't think of it film. as being like a man and a dog. It's, like, it's about. Um, a man and a dog. That's what it's about. Just say man and his best oh. friend, and that's fine. Okay. Yeah. Oh my god, I've never considered Chewie to be like a dog. Ever. Like, I've never considered it like that. You never see a, a dog sticking its head out a car window and think. That looks a bit like Chewie and the Falcon. Well, I know that dogs do look like him, but like he's, <laughs> he's, he's his own species, like he's a person. You never seen right. a dog in the park pick up a bowcaster and blast the ball to pieces. <laughs> <laughs> We've all seen that. Well, anyway, thanks for ruining it for me. <laughs> Is it actually about his dog? Is it actually about his dog? 
Because that is actually so cute. I'm sure I heard that he used to drive around in his pickup truck with his dog in the passenger seat, and that's what Han and Chewie's based on. Was his dog called Chewbacca? Um, we called the dog Indiana. I think it was actually <laughs> called Indiana. Was it actually? Yes. Oh my god. Oh, that's kind of really cute. But anyway, we should probably talk about our Star Wars side stories. A good idea. Well, I don't think that this is a side story. Like I've said, I think it's it fits too kind of then convenient, why not on the agenda? conveniently into the uh, <laughs> It's on the agenda. Don't stick so rigidly to the agenda. Don't. Yeah. I didn't make it. I'm just wondering why it's there if it's uh, if we're not considering a side story. Do you think Don't fear the agenda. It is not your master. <laughs> okay, thank you. Do you think that all I've Star gone Wars... Rogue. <laughs> Rogue One. <laughs> Should all should all Star Wars films follow the same uh, saga? Should they all take place? Maybe they shouldn't, but should it I... all be the story of the Skywalkers? Okay, do they? Maybe they have to break out of that though, because if we're going to try and have films that are suitable for the modern age, and they're trying to bring in an audience that's used to a different film, maybe that kind of saga just can't happen. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I was very surprised you say how. Certainly with the opening, even if it didn't continue all the way through, that they went for a gritty film. And I wondered, was that the influence of people in the industry saying, oh, we need grittiness? You know, the, the DC films, like it, we won't do, we won't do just hilarity uh, superhero films. We need, we need dark and gritty. And is that just what the modern audience expects now? So you, you can't have an, a good old fashioned saga. When was so. Star Wars hilarious, though? Well, they've got kind of comic moments. They've got they? yeah, a comic charm. They have relief moments. All every single everything C three PO does has that. Every, like, but I didn't see Rogue One as as gritty. No, not compared to um, Ewoks. Well, well, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, how are you defining gritty? Well, That's the cool. opening scene to me, I think, was a massive surprise where you well, I, see I who you assume is going to be like the uh if not the hero at least the main character and and you know they're on the side of the good guys because as, because of who's chasing them and then yeah. the one of the first things he does is just random well not randomly purposefully murder somebody yeah. in in what is cold blood because he has to and you all of a sudden you're presented with a rebellion that is not this nice group of people fighting for their freedom it's no these guys are suppressed they are desperate what and, happens at the beginning so the uh one of the main characters kills his informant and because his informant isn't going to be able to get away and he's going to be able to give secrets to the empire that the rebellion can't afford them to have now he could if it was a nice film and it's an indiana jones style he could have done a big action sequence rescued the guy thrown him into some sort of speeder and they've gotten away happy but he doesn't do that he says no there's no way we can get away i don't want to have to kill you but um, i'm going to say something nice to you to get your trust and then shoot you in the back Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely paints a different picture of the rebellion. And then, as you say later on, one of the ma- main plot point is that um, it's the same guy Cassian brings up that they've all done things in the name of the rebellion that they have to live with, and so they have to kind of follow through and uh, see it to the end because 
Otherwise, they'd have done all these things for nothing. Yeah. They'd have choosed themselves. This is a bit like Assassin's Creed, eh? <laughs> the game? <laughs> the film? It's making me think of a film. <laughs> I have to wait for the Assassin's Creed podcast to What's discuss it? that. Chodos Par Credo or something. <laughs> Our every, yeah, you, you have to. Yeah, the the mission is all. I forget what it actually means, but it, it, yeah, the the cause is everything. It is, yeah, I see what you're saying now. Yes. So basically, well, it's all the same. The, uh, the scene, there's a scene that's kind of could be in an, in like a sort of Iraq war movie or something where there's imperial troopers in a in a tank or something going through sort of crowded desert city streets and they get set upon by insurgents. Rebels. But I think That's you always gritty. yeah, but I think you always find with movies whenever they're made, they're always gonna have a reference or some sort of um um indicator of what is happening in the world at that time because that's how people relate to it. Right? But did Star Wars the original have some connection then to uh, a seventies war. It may well have done. I just don't know because I wasn't alive then. Maybe, maybe it was all a reaction to Vietnam. Maybe it was. Maybe somebody has to visit this. Well, the prequels were definitely a, re- a reaction, or George Lucas's reaction to the Bush administration. What? All the political stuff in them is like a big sort of reaction against George W. Bush. I think. Isn't it? Sh- that something can't just exist for pure entertainment and it has to um, <laughs> yeah but you just said that art is influenced by what's going on in the world but it, well it is but it's a shame that we can't have like something pure that doesn't have those um, tie, tie-ins or influences or you know as a reaction to certain things What? It's true. Anyway, moving on. Was this the right side story to go for? Was it, you know, for the first non-saga episode, did did you feel like you wanted to know the story of how those Death Star plans were obtained? I didn't want the gap filling in the plot, but I wonder if... I would have accepted a story that had nothing to do with what I'd seen before. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd be interested to to see a film that had no connection to the main characters and what they were involved in in any way. It was just, there's this evil empire and other things happened in another yeah. galaxy, another solar yeah. system. And a part of me wondered if that could succeed because too many people in the audience would have wanted a connection but I, I, I just don't I just don't know I'm having trouble putting that together why, I wonder if that would have been why, more interesting why would you bother with that though like because we've already sort of seen it well I think it's it's difficult because you you wonder whether they're going to do this with lots of other sort of minor plot points from the films and sort of pick a, an event that's sort of mentioned and then they... I think this might be the only one that they do it with because it's the only one that Family Guy have pointed out and said, ha <laughs> Maybe, this but then... Make sense. 
But then I agree with Aaron as well. I think that it would be interesting to see something that takes place, you know, so far away from what we've seen already. We're, we we understand the universe or the sort of galaxy um, that it's all operating in. But it'd be, so it'd be quite good to see, you know, it's the, the galaxy in Star Wars is massive. There's hundreds and hundreds of planets and systems and things. And all we ever see is a sort of narrow story that follows a few people around. And it always comes back to that. And, um, so, and, you know, it's the same in Rogue One. There's characters that pop up that are in the other films as well. So it would be good to see something that's obviously it is related if we were watching a, a story of a rebellion against the Empire at some other time or place. Uh, it could only be sort of tangentially related, but we would understand the world that we were watching. And the Canon okay. universe is so massive now that there must be other stories, plots that could be picked out and used. Mm-hmm. How many um, have they got lined up? I don't know. There's very, I think there's going to be a Han Solo sort of origin film. Which I am quite interested to see that. I wasn't originally until I heard that Donald Glover was going to be Lando. <laughs> and now that's all I want to see. I want it to be a Lando movie. <laughs> What's so interesting then about a Han Solo film? Why is it because it's got that connection to the old and and that is the most valuable part? Or is it simply that the character is so interesting? Well, that, but again, I would be, I'm kind of apprehensive about that because I've heard about, you know, potential Boba Fett spinoff, Han Han Solo origin. I'm not, I don't know if I really want to see more about the characters I already feel I have an idea about, you know. I'd quite mm-hmm. like to, to see something that sits apart or is a bit separate or, like this, introduces a lot of new characters that you can kind of, that grow on you because that was something I thought about when watching this where I felt like I didn't, because I, because you know, even in The Force Awakens you, you see characters that you're familiar with and it's like that kind of you get that warm, fuzzy feeling from seeing Han and Chewie get back onto the Falcon for the first time in ages. But then in this, you you have to get to know a lot of new characters, and at first you're a bit like, oh, I don't know, they don't really feel the same. But then you kind of, the more you see it, I think mm. the more you begin to enjoy learning about new characters they and getting to know new characters. They definitely grabbed me, but I was really sad because I knew that it would be really short-lived because they were all going to die at the end. <laughs> well, there is that. But then that's that quite... wasn't that wasn't booked though. In was it? There, I was. I heard somewhere, of course. Not necessarily didn't make it true, but I'd heard that that was a change that they made later on in the film. Well, it just made more. It made more sense. Like I didn't. I didn't know how the film ended, but I presumed yeah. because we've not seen them in any other movie that yeah. they wouldn't just have these people still existing and then not have not have them be a part of the other movies. Yeah, it kind of ties it up neatly that you, you don't have to ask what happened to these heroes. You know, that we heroes would, of that, war. that we wouldn't see them again. Mm. I think the so the whole fight has got to be wide enough so that they could have been elsewhere working on other things. I mean, they're going to have the same problem with the Star Wars Rebels. What are they going to do with these characters? Because mm-hmm. uh, they will definitely be around. And I think they've put the the ship, the ghost, in, in one of the Rogue One scenes just so it had that connection, that continuity. But you don't, nec- you don't need to see the characters. There, the, the rebellion is so big. I think that it was the right choice to kill them off because it wouldn't have been the gritty film that was promised with the opening scene if they had kept them alive. Mm-hmm. But I think the option to keep them alive 
is was there that just because they they weren't on Endor doesn't mean they couldn't have been somewhere useful. Yeah, that's true. But I do I do think it was an interesting decision then to to do that with those with all those main characters in it. I also think it's an interesting um, commitment for the actors as well. Where if you are getting involved in a Star Wars film, you kind of imagine that that's a big career decision. It's going to affect a lot of um, the way people see you from then on. But these people have done one Star Wars film. I wonder if they're that's probably it. them sort of tied in, you know, to the convention circuit and things, but they're not, they're not committed to making, you know, hundreds and hundreds of films. Um, no, though they, they can certainly turn up anywhere because they've already had, um, Forrest Whitaker join in with Rogue One, haven't they? So there's always options for them to, to still sneak into other Star yes. Wars media. There were a few, other than the sort of um, rebel leaders and things, there were a few pilots and things I think that make it into into the original trilogy. Uh, so there is a bit of crossover. I suppose mm-hmm. that's kind of fan service as well to see that you know these some of the pilots that survived uh, from Rogue One made it through into the Death Star attack and things like that. It's quite cool. What did you make of Felicity Jones and her character? What did I think? Mm. I I quite liked her. I think she was good. Mm-hmm. Um, I was worried that she was going to be a bit too much like um, Ray from the Force Awakens. Just uh, I don't know. They've you know the, the latest two Star because Wars films have very similar looking female leads. They don't look anything alike. They've both got dark hair. They're white. They're women. They're probably about the same height. <laughs> <laughs> They've got the same accent. Well, I think there's actually a danger there that was possible. There's, I, I think there's a very limited formula out there for what makes a strong female lead in films these days. And that means there is a danger that they would have been written the same as mm-hmm. young female characters in the prime role. As, so the fact that they managed to break out of the formula well enough so they did come across as different was a was a success not guaranteed at all of course they're going to come across different because they're completely different characters but they, they could are, have been they, both- they could have been badly written and they could have been badly written so they were more similar despite their different background and they I do think that was a danger grow up without their parents and then yeah, so does so does Luke so does <laughs> Leia so does so does she every had, single she had adoptive parents so yeah, you Luke. never see them. They never come into her house. <laughs> you see her adopted father in this film. And you well, don't see her house because it gets blown up. There's no chance to see her house. No, yeah. right, sorry. <laughs> no, but, but it's just like, oh, God. It's like when you look at every single Disney movie and you realise that nobody comes from a house with like both of their parents still alive <laughs> or any parents. They're all orphans. And I think, anyway, we digress again. Dramatic, um, darling. Yeah, <laughs> but it's true. Like you can't compare, you can't compare Ray and Jin. I think you can. Not if you're going to say that they're similar. Not if you're going to say they're similar. What do you think different. of her then? What do you think of her as a leading woman or a, just a hero in the film? I enjoyed her. Do you like her better than Ray? Um, I don't know because she's quite different to Ray. Okay. What What do you like about Jin? I don't know, I really need to have watched this movie again. 
Right. We saw it twice, right? So what? Uh, I've, seen, I've seen it twice. Oh, I've only seen it once. Um, I just remember enjoying her character. She has a good scene when she's um, talking and, oh, to all the rebel leaders. Dad. And she's kind of stirring them up and they're, they're all on the edge of giving up you know, when they find out about the Death Star. And then she kind of uh, has a sort of rousing speech to try and convince them to, to go after the plans. Mm. They're all physically strong. Both of the female leads. Oh, so they are similar. They're physically strong. <laughs> they have really good upper body strength, which I think is quite incredible. I think the first time I saw the film, she was probably the standout character because I found that a lot of the rest of them, you know, they were all, I could tell who they all were and what their roles were and things. But I think that there was, I found that the names and the way people were speaking with different accents and things, I found it really difficult to tell who's who was called what and things. So I could, after, after seeing the film for the first time, I couldn't refer to any of the characters apart from Jin by their names because I couldn't understand what they were all called. And so now it's been, you know, having seen it again and read a bit more about it, I'm kind of starting to put names to faces and things, but, uh, like Galen Erso. Yeah. Well, I could, I remembered who he was because he wasn't part of the, uh, the Rogue One crew. But did you, Aaron? Did you think that any of the other sort of main rebels uh, stood out particularly? Cassie Mandor, he he's got a pretty big role in it. I I would I'd actually just like to pull pull you back just quickly to Jin based on the scene you said, just because it's one of the things I was I noticed. You know the bit where she does give that rousing speech. Yeah. To me, that really stood out as something I was not expecting because it it's it is this darker film where everything is just that little bit nasty. And I know she turns inspired by the death of her father, but I wasn't expecting her to then suddenly become very charismatic and to lead a room full of politicians and generals to think, oh, yeah, we never thought of that. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, if only we could have done that ourselves. It, 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 I don't say that it, it was the wrong thing for, for her character to do, but I think... I was surprised that this moody teenager who hates the world could all of a sudden become a not only a Joan of Arc character, but one who was also a, suddenly a great orator. Yeah, you know, it, she, it was. It, it, it just was I don't know. Turn. I didn't. But is sorry. it because she's got like real faith in what she's doing? Maybe she's just been that inspired she's by the rebellion. She's been so inspired, and she's seen what she's seen what they're not doing. And she's been able to identify it because she's an outsider, essentially. She's able to identify all of their weaknesses and try and use it to inspire them to become better and bigger than than what they have become, which maybe comes into the whole, all the bad things that they're doing. It's like a, don't let this be for naught. We also know that she was brought up, or she at least spent a lot of time in her youth with Forrest Whitaker's character, and he's obviously quite um, a sort of fundamentalist when it comes to the rebellion. So I wonder how much that upbringing. I, I know it wasn't really touched on a bit, and that was that was something that I felt was maybe a bit weaker in the story, where their relationship wasn't developed so much. You know, the, when they finally reunite, they have to kind of tell you uh, what their what their relationship is between the two of them. Uh, but yeah, I wonder if you're supposed to sort of infer that. Um, she had a kind of radical 
upbringing with him. Mm. And this, it was kind of ignited again by reuniting with the rest of the rebellion. Is that I before, think you're right. That, Sorry. Is that after she, that's after she's seen her dad, right? Yeah, well, this is when she gets back to the rebel base. And they go find, they go looking for stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they <Yeah>. do. <laughs> Okay. I think I think you're right. I think that, that I'm not saying it was the wrong thing to do. I think it was the right position for that character to be. I think she did have to be the one that led them when they ran out of hope. I I, I do agree with that. I, I think well, I was just expecting it. it to come later. I think I was expecting the the rebel leaders to say we have to do this, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that was the higher level talk to the whole people speech. And then I was expecting someone like Jin, who was more of a a street level activist, to be in the role, as you say, of of Saw Gerrera, because that's her influence. So when the Empire and the the Atats are coming at them on the planet, and all of a sudden they realise they're outnumbered, they're surrounded, they're too, they don't have the firepower. I think at that point I was expecting her to give the big speech and say, "Don't give up now. We're so close." And it would be in the grit of the moment that her character would suddenly find the inspiration to push on when nobody else had, because that's mm. what you would do on the street. You right. either choose to uh, live and take the risk going for what you need, or you die in the gutter. So, you live by the streets, you die by the streets. Um, yeah. Yeah. I found <laughs> I find it weird that everyone was so reluctant. I was like, "You're supposed to be the good guys. And you're all. You're all." Chicken and out of like <laughs> any action. You're just, you know, you're just gonna sit and do what, like wait for yourselves to get blown up. And I don't know. I find it really strange because it's so jarring with how they're portrayed in any other Star Wars movie. Like it's, it's that's how I read it anyway. Well, I guess no, it shows right you the sort yeah. of scope of the Rebel Alliance, where uh, it's all these different um, systems and races coming together. Uh, to fight against the Empire. You don't really see it as much in the early Star Wars films, but then by the time you get to Jedi, they, you know, kind of roll out all the different um, aliens and things that are fighting alongside our heroes. Hmm. And I really enjoyed um, the Mexican guy. (laughs) Mexican guy. Is he he Mexican? He's actually Mexican, and his name is amazing. It's Diego Luna. How is, cool is that name? Is he Mexican in the film? No, he's Mexican in real life. Oh, right. <laughs> in real life. Diego Luna, also known as Cassian Andor. Yes. The sort of Han Solo uh, stand-in. Swashbuckling. Hey, you can call him that. Rebel. He's his own man. Yeah. I liked him right from the start just because of that opening scene that we've already talked about. That was just such a surprise for me that this was going to oh, be what this character was. That I was bought over straight away mm-hmm. I've just remembered the opening they're getting chased, he's got like some sort of thing, he hides on like some sort of fifth element and then like sends a guy out or something, he's like be a distraction or kills him or something yeah and then yeah. he climbs away I'd forgotten about that <laughs> weird, don't know how I thought the movie started but yeah that scene mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I thought he was good I enjoyed I enjoyed him on screen and and um but I don't know, I found I found his interactions with Jin confused. 
Did you think that they were heading for a sort of romantic story? Well, at some parts it was almost like quite fatherly towards her, and then and then you think, oh god, they know that they're going to die. Are they going to kiss? <laughs> but then they don't, and they hug, and you're kind of like, oh, that's nice that they don't have to do that. But then I was like, oh, they should have kissed because they're going to die. So <laughs> you may as well like. Nah, when it looked like they were about to lean in, I was just thinking, please, no. please don't. <laughs> just because it would have been too kind of Bollywood, too cliche. I think just to have them sort of. Do that right before the end. I think that I know. Be- I know a bunch of people who don't even like that they hugged at the end because they thought it was too romantic. And to everybody that said that, I've gone. They're about to die. You saying in the last eyes. moments you don't want a little bit of human contact. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, the hug I think was absolutely yeah. perfect. Because yeah. you know that you you don't want to have to do it on your own, and you've just done your epic battles. So you're gonna embrace death, absolutely. and you're gonna embrace. Um, what little life you have left. Yeah, and I think that. So I don't think there was anything wrong with that. I think it shows that they were well developed because by the time that you see the sort of mushroom cloud about to envelop them, even though you've only known them for tragic, eh? for one film, yeah, I think you, you do get, you do feel, you know, bad for these characters that they've gone through all this and that they've they've achieved what they want. They achieved their goal, but they're ultimately being vaporized. Yeah. Cassian offered something for me as well that the originals didn't, and this will be sacrilege to a lot of people, but Cassian is more of what Han Solo's banner says he is than Han Solo ever was. Han Solo is dressed up as a rogue, and he looks like a bad guy, and he says the words of a bad guy, but he doesn't really do anything bad. You know, he's he's not really that sort of... Of, of thief rogue character as well saying that that he does yeah. kill Grebo, i suppose but now yeah. but they tried to take that away from us yeah that's uh, true. They tried to but it, it but cassian is somebody who is broken right from the start he's somebody that has that banner of this is the character they are the broken person who has to suddenly find the way to being a hero but actually has lived that role rather than just wearing the cool open shirt that proves he is you know yeah. But Han, he, he had to do all the dirty though. work that Han sort of. I mean, Han was just out for himself because he was a smuggler. So he he would, whereas I suppose Cassian had had, had done all these things in the name of the rebellion. Yeah, yeah, I don't think you can maybe not compare them so so closely or critically because Han Solo was a smuggler, and even up to like the Force Awakens, we know that he's still up to his dirty tricks because. He owes, like, several people, you know, loads of shit. <laughs> and he's got yeah. himself in loads of trouble because people are out searching the galaxy for him again, despite the fact that he's, like, Old. older and uh, and should know better. But he's still, he's still just dicks <laughs> he's about still, in space. He's and, still a scoundrel. And it's funny. And scoundrel's a great word because it's... it's scoundrel. scoundrel. It's got a level of humour to it, which, which I think... He definitely has in in the in the movies. So, um, but I don't think I don't think um, you wouldn't say Cassian that, is supposed to be. No, you wouldn't that say Cassian's a scoundrel. Yeah, you wouldn't call you wouldn't call him that. And I think that that's <laughs> fine. They're just a different kind of rogue. Yeah, one's more one's more sort of innocent than the other. Han Solo is in, is a scoundrel in is a perfect word because it's the word that nowadays would say of a child, always oh, such a scoundrel. <laughs> whereas whereas yeah. Cassian is actually somebody who is uh, crossed and has had to do nasty things. Yeah, and I don't <laughs> yeah. think there's anything wrong with that, and I don't think that that makes 
Han Solo a weaker character. Um, no, I, don't, I, I wouldn't say that. Cassian. It's just that that's why I enjoyed Cassian more, I think. If you ask me which film would I like to watch, I'd rather watch a film with Cassian in it than, than Han Solo in it because of what they've been involved in. Yeah. And it well, makes me wonder if they're going to do with a new Han Solo film, are they going to make him more like Cassian is so they can prove that he was actually a bit of a bad guy in his youth? Mm-hmm. See, just to fill the plot holes that you've... Um, or character flaws that you've drawn up. It just, it feels like all of their movies are just going to be to like block any creative idea that we might have had about characters' backstories. Well, I mean, fans kind of went a bit wild after Star Wars and, and, you know, did all their own fanfic and expanded universe stuff. And it feels like there's almost nothing that hasn't been kind of turned into a spin-off or a side story somewhere. Uh, so why not make films about these things? Mm. Okay. Anyone else stand out to you? What do you think of K2SO? K2SO. <laughs> the, the heroic robot yes. that holds off the stormtroopers for them at the end. Oh, and he's constantly cracking wise. Oh, oh, I really... Okay, no, I did really like him. <laughs> yeah, I did. Oh, no. I not enough to remember, remember his name, but... Yeah. They remember... Not as well, no, because... Did they use it? Did they use his name in the movie? He introduces himself. Oh, well, I don't really remember, but I do remember that he almost shoots Cassian, and then he's like, oh, it was just messing with you or something, I don't know. He slaps him about a bit. Yeah. Oh, and he, like, chains him up and stuff. No, I remember him, and I did... I did, um, at first I wasn't so sure, but he definitely grew on me as a character and I, he might have been my favourite. Yeah, yeah, another new droid. Is he better than BB-8? Why are you comparing all the robots? Oh, that's just how I see the world. <laughs> Stop comparing. They're different. They're completely different. Um, at least this one can talk. True. In a more verbalised way. Mm. Okay. Enjoyed. He was the right robot for the film, wasn't he? If they're doing a gritty film, then they needed a gritty, sarcastic robot. Whereas in the original, sorry, in the in episode seven, where they had more of the saga, more towards the soap opera, they needed to have a cuter robot. So they got mm-hmm. they, they did what they needed to do with them, and they did it well. Yeah, yeah I think he looked like the Iron Giant. He did look a bit like that, actually. But and he, he also. You could, I mean, I think that his character was quite well developed as well because his death was quite poignant. I thought that he was holding off the the assault. Was it like Terminator to give the guys time to uh, find the plans? Sealed the vault door. Oh. Although he seemed to, he could take quite a beating. You know, he got shot quite a few times. Because he's a robot. Yeah, well, all the other droids that got shot took, uh, you know, went down far quicker than. Yeah, but the story, the story features him because he's obviously incredible or different enough from all the others. He's not like all the others. He's different. He was reprogrammed, mm. brainwashed into the rebellion. He can think for himself. <laughs> That's a lot of Rogue One people. Well, they do have this kind of crew that I think you're supposed to supposed to get to know, mm. even though it's over the course of a short film. You know, it's like a, or a short time in, in terms of Star Wars. Anyway, we, mm. we're used to seeing 
trilogies worth of people getting to know each other and getting to know these characters. Whereas they introduced quite a lot of that was my that was the thing I was saying about the first time I saw it. There were all these characters that you were getting to know, and they all kind of stand out in their own ways. Um, but it was also kind of rapid in there, and it's this kind of ragtag crew that they put together: the pilot and uh, the two guys that they pick up on the desert planet. Um, that you know, I, I I enjoyed them, but I just feel like it was it was difficult to kind of keep track of who everyone was and what they were all doing. I don't know. Did it, did any of those other guys stand out to you? And the Donnie Yen, they all, those guys. Do you know they all stood out to me? But strangely, because maybe I wonder if it's more because I'm a, I'm a bit of a more of a gamer than I am a film fanatic. That they stood out to me because it of being well delineated by their abilities rather than necessarily by their personalities. Right. As you had this guy who was clearly a Jedi, not a Jedi, and mm-hmm. you had his best mate with a massive gun. Yep. And it, it, they really were easy to differentiate in my head, but th- none of them, I would say, did I feel like, oh my God, that was the ending he deserved, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- one of them was close where he goes, I'm one with the force, I'm one with the force, I'm one, and he, and he uh, walks across. Yes. That was the closest, and I think that was good. But the other guy, his his best mate, um, is it Bees? I can't remember yep. now. To say it wrong. Yeah, I think I, I don't really feel like he he got something that suited who he was. In that you know he was born to live this way, or he was born to die this way. It wasn't like a magnificent seven style gang of people or a dirty dozen style gang of people who were. D- defined all the way through by this characteristic that they either lived by the sword and then died by the sword or they dealt with their major plot uh, personality flaw and then were able to become better because of it they were abilities on paper that did what they needed to do and then they died right and so i think you're right that the end bit with the two what i would say absolutely main characters Jin and cassian that's that is kind of upsetting when they die, but the others, it was just like, I thought that was good on an intelligent sort of level, but I'm not moved. Yeah, they were. I I feel the same way. They were kind of there to to kind of die at various stages mm-hmm. throughout because everyone yeah. had to, and so I think um, the Donnie Yen character stood out the most because he was like the kind of pseudo Jedi, the blind guy with the staff. He had his yeah. catchphrase that has kind of been the most sort of lasting. Thing I think that's come out of uh, out of the film and one with the force, the force is with me. Was that the first thing that we've heard though? Uh, yeah, I think that was his little mantra that he seemed to be unique to him. But I, I agree yeah, with you about Baze as well. He was almost just a sidekick to to Donnie Yen's character mm. because yeah. he just kind of followed him around and gunned down anyone that got a bit too close. Can I just say I had to Google because we've got the agenda in front of us and it's got that list of names on it, and I was looking at the last four names, so K2SO, but I do remember those. Um, and then the other three, so Chirrut, Baze and Bodhi, I had to I had to Google them because I was like, who the hell are those guys? <laughs> but as soon as I see them, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. all well, of that. That's what I mean about kind but of, I just, you have all these characters thrown at you, who because I, I, didn't, I mm. wonder whether or not we've seen, you know, we've but watched... But I feel bad though, like normally I'd be like, oh I don't really give a shit. But I actually feel bad because I'm like, oh they are actually in a huge part yeah, like part of the story. I like them, but so I feel bad that I'd kind of like I've pushed their parts of the movie 
We've watched Into and rewatched Star Wars films so many times that we know who Lobot is. Who's We're... Lobot? <laughs> the angry Hold cyborg on. with no big boy words to say. Oh. But... <laughs> but... Yeah, I know so, <laughs> so I wonder whether or not these characters, you know, eventually after years and years of rewatching Rogue One, will it just eventually become part of the fabric are of, people gonna of Star read, Wars? Are people going to watch it in they the will. same way? They will. They are. The yeah, same way that we've watched. So these the will become episodes. household names, but they, but watching it the first time, they definitely didn't sort of I don't know if it will. I mean, it was enjoyable to watch, but I don't know if it's going to fit into the other seven movies that they've got so far. I think there's going to be enough... Chirrut Mway merchandise kicking about that he'll eventually become half price as household a name as Greedo <laughs> or or half price or yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I enjoyed. I really enjoyed their characters. I thought he was really funny. Um, but I don't know if they're lasting. I don't have like I didn't have any lasting impressions of them until I had to Google them, and that's only because I'm prompted by this thing to to you- remember what happened in the movie. You you didn't remember anything about what happened in the movie. Not like honestly, <laughs> but I have to be honest. Normally, <laughs> no, I have to be honest. Normally, when we do these things, we watch the movie, you know, a couple of days before or the day before or while we're doing these things, I'll watch it like Aliens or something. But we didn't watch it, and and I couldn't I couldn't remember what happened. <laughs> I could the main things I could remember. So maybe it's good because I don't know how many people are actually going to go back and watch this a gajillion times. But I could remember Jin. I could remember her dying with Cassian when they've accomplished what they needed to. I could remember Leia at the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I could remember. Um, you must have remembered the Darth Vader bit. What happens? I only and I could remember Peter Cushing and um, oh, yeah. and the whole. I was thinking more about technical things of the movie than than plot points. Do you think that? Do you think those sorts of uncanny um, CGI characters kind of take you out of it? Because nope. Because when I saw Cushing the first time, I thought, "Whoa, that looks that's pretty good CGI." And that's all. I mean, I was kind of focused on the fact that they'd done this so well, but I, you know, wasn't really. Watching the performance, I was more yeah, kind but of it's not like, impressed by how they were able to pull yeah, it off. But it's not like you're like, oh, I'm watching, I'm watching a dead guy in some sort of weird holograph. Because I was thinking, it's Star Wars, it's the future, a long, long time ago, and yeah, it's the and they have the technology for creating holograms and stuff anyway. So it's not like it's a new technology for the movie or a new method of bringing um, people. <laughs> I don't know. Where am I going with this? I don't know if I understand what you're saying or if you right. understand so what you're saying. The way, the way, <laughs> the way that they introduce him as like some sort of hologram, right? No, he's the he's a normal, living, breathing. Ah, oh. Governor Tarkin. Then I definitely <laughs> missed that because it was so good. Because it was so good. I think they got away with it, but I was definitely kind of. Thinking more about the mm-hmm. fact that they had this CGI mm-hmm. version of him rather than still being in the I'd film. I'd forgotten he was dead. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he died in 1994. What did you think when he showed up, Aaron? I I actually bought into him perfectly well. Some, somehow the voice was good enough. And you, as you say, the, the CGI was was good enough that I was... I was only going to be bothered that he was going to be brought in as a gimmick 
And I think Leia was brought in as a gimmick, and I really didn't need to see her. I think it was utterly pointless. But but shut your face! Shut your face! No, no, pointless. (laughs) But as for seeing somebody who was in charge of the Imperial troops at that right point, he felt like he was exactly who you would expect to see, and he was in the place he needed to be, making decisions, telling people what to do, in charge of his people. It. I think you slotted in perfectly. Yeah, I like that. that was a total waste of time. <gasps> no, I, I agree. I liked having him in there, and I do think that the Leia thing was more jarring at the very end. But uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah. Once once Tarkin kind of shows up, and you're, and I'd reacted and thought, "Wow, that's good CGI," and I was thinking that rather than thinking about the character or mm, the story. Like it took you out of it. Yeah, a wee bit. But then you know you get used to it, and then he's there, and he's actually in it for quite a lot. You know, I was going to say he's not in it for that long, but. No, there's there's a fair amount. When I heard I when I heard that he was going to be in it, I assumed it would just be like a kind of quick reference mm-hmm. or a quick nod to the fact that he existed at this time. Um, yeah. But I was kind of impressed by how much of it, like how much his character played into it. Do you not think it's mental? What, I'm going to say no, but I don't really know what you mean. So. <laughs> Do you not think it's mental that you can be dead for 23 years or 22 and a half, um, and and still be in movies but not as a dead person i think it was one of the best <laughs> examples of this kind of uh, technology tech that you've seen yeah because you've seen like the kind of de-aging stuff in yeah. Tron, westworld and things like that but i think this and was benjamin the, button and benjamin, <laughs> oh, no, no not that <laughs> but i think this is this is like the high point so far for <clears throat> being believable and yeah. accepting that a character who looks the same as he did in 1977 looks on screen now. Right. And better placed, I think, mm-hmm. than even Vader, who I was wondering what they were going to do with, and I did not get anything out of Vader at all in this film. The, no? No, not... not, not it, the thing is, it might be, though, because I've been watching, again, Star Wars Rebels, and when they brought Vader into that, he he's always been amazing and it's so difficult to live up to i mean even when the character appears for the first time the the look of the of the situation they've placed him in is just gorgeous and then he is this powerhouse on screen and he is just better than everybody else he's better than the the normal people obviously but he's also better than the jedis he just wins Mm-hmm. And he's this force to be reckoned with. And here in in Rogue One, he he threatens a guy, <laughs> and he talks slightly nastily. And there's the bit at the end where you've got the um, rebel troopers stuck in a corridor with him, and you know they are screwed. And yep. that is close. That's the bit where he suddenly shines because you yeah. realise the power of this guy, but. The rest of the film, all of his appearances don't live up to him in that corridor, which is a very short scene. Uh, That's a shame, I think. I'd agree. I think that of the two times he shows up, I really liked his his castle and his sort of, you know, gothic lava fortress that that he lives in. (laughs) I I really liked that. I liked seeing him in the back to tank, but I thought that the scene with uh, uh, Krennic wasn't all that great and then i would agree with you and at, when he shows up at the end and just goes mental 
<laughs> his proper <laughs> Vader, that's what you want to see. You just mm. want to see him kind of unleashing, don't you? I, well, I don't even need to see him fighting, actually. I'm happy to see him talking uh, and and just being this power that everybody's afraid of. But mm-hmm. I didn't think that just seeing him with one scientist occurred that or seeing him in as you say in the tank i don't think that that did that oh, i don't know i just like those i think i just think like the imagery of it like of his castle and of him in mm-hmm. his in his tank yeah <laughs> <laughs> any thoughts on vader I, well i do actually but they're not really about what you guys have talked about which is interesting but um I remember being a bit distracted by him wearing like the inner tubes of bicycles around his neck. <laughs> I was like, "Why? Where did he get that from?" But um, I remember speaking to Gus about it afterwards, and um, apparently they were trying to make it look more authentic to the time of what Bader looked like yeah. in the earlier ones, um, and not the more right. modernized, um, older Bader. I read that they were trying backwards. to match it up to how he looked in the first yeah. film. But I think they did it a bit too much because um it's just it wasn't very discreet and it just looked really strange. It looked Richard. like it looked like a seal had been put into a wetsuit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like honestly. I don't like <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so I found it really distracting, but um, I mean, if you guys want to talk about his on-screen presence, I don't know. I found it. It. I can enjoy him because I was distracted. <laughs> well, at the time, I didn't know that that's what I thought it looked like. That's just something I said, Renee. So, I, I think know. it's interesting that we've gotten this far talking about elements of the plot and the characters mm-hmm. and Vader and all sorts of things, and we've not mentioned uh, the main baddie in the film. Who? Oh, mm. <laughs> Although he does have wait, a, wait. he's got pretty good dress sense. I thought I liked him swishing about in his cape a lot. Who? Krennic. Orson Krennic. Hold on, I'm going to Google him because I can only remember her dad, Galen Erso. Oh, I love him. He's so cute. Wait, hold on, Google images. But other than Orson. that, other than his, other than his nice uh, cape and hat and outfits. Oh my and God, Orson Krennic is above Orson Welles on the Google, <laughs> on the Google um, like predictor wordy things oh yeah but he looks familiar he's been in the other ones right other than his outfit i don't know if he stood out massively why is he not christoph waltz i feel like that could have been awesome i think what i think he suffered from the kind of thing that we talk about with the marvel villains you know who have to last a film and and then get vanquished at the end i think he was a bit too you know, here and then gone. What do you think, Aaron? Um, it's, yeah, it's, it was. I don't know. He he was in the right place. He did what he needed to do. As you say, he was dressed so well. Um, <laughs> he was. He had a great cape. He did. I, I struggled to. I struggled to place him actually, and where I think of him because. He wasn't the threatening power that is Tarkin. No. And he was a bit of a, we need some guy to be evil, and we need some guy to threaten Jin's father. Are you free? Yeah, I'll do it. You know, and, it, <laughs> and, and then I find myself struggling to think of, of what else I think of him. 
Yeah, I well, thought he what... was he was he was where he needed to be. He'd, yeah, uh, sorry, that's all I can say. Yeah, I think he I think he just serves the purpose of being the main antagonist, and then that's that's really it. Like like we said, with a lot of other kind of one and done movie villains, he he sort of there shows up, sneers a bit. I uh, feel really bad for this guy. Because I don't. I think it was a good performance. I just don't think that the character was all that. No, I mean, I feel really bad for the guy because I don't remember. You don't remember anything about him. <laughs> you don't remember anything about him. I remember. <laughs> I remember the cape. I remember somebody. <laughs> I remember like someone coming up to a Mickelson and like threatening to like do something to him. I remember him being really upset, and then he sees his daughter, and then he's lying like half dead on the ground. Remember that bit. I think the character had potential because hey, you, because they touch on the fact that he, really? you know, he wants to have an audience with the well, maybe not an audience with the emperor, but he wants the emperor to know about how what he's been doing and his work and things. And then Tarkin kind of takes the credit for the Death Star, and you see Krennic going to Vader and trying to um, ask him if he'll, you know, mention him to the emperor and things. So he's supposed to be this kind of um, sniveling, kind of weaseling guy. But he, I don't think you ever really get the proper impression that that's his main sort of um, drive or anything. He he just kind of swishes about and then shows up and does what he needs to do. But you don't. I think that side of him was kind of underdeveloped. Going by the outfit that I've googled of um, <laughs> of Orson Krennic, I can't help but feel Christoph Waltz would have looked absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> then you just have more Hans Landa, and you can't have Han and Lando. <laughs> Well, I'm sad that that, that didn't happen because, because I love him. <laughs> but that's just me. Um, and then, yeah, I think I'm going to have to watch this movie again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I and I do want to watch it again. So I suppose, that the, well, do I? Yeah, no, I think I do. Yeah, yeah, you do. But maybe, I don't know, I feel like I'd maybe like skip a wee bit. Do you remember the big climactic battle? <laughs> That when it was like they were on a beach, and it made me think of like all the old black and white photos of like World War One. Yeah, yeah. Were you about to like question that? (laughs) And and Aaron's like, "Oh yeah, no, like she's onto something here." I was thinking which part because it wasn't like there was a landing or anything. But hold on, World War One beach. I was thinking of it more like beach landing, Pacific theater in World War Two. Look, look, it totally. So I've just looked up um, Juno Beach, Normandy, and all that stuff. It totally, like, not that I know much about this part of history, um, which is really bad, but um, there were a lot of scenes which made me think of, do you know how, like, on um, online you'll see photos of beaches nowadays and they'll have, like, a superimposed image of what it looked like during the wars? And they'll have like that of, look, this is like you're lying on this beach, but this is where all these people were like running over and fighting for all of this stuff. And I don't know, a lot of the scenes really made me think of all of those old photographs that I've seen of all the I think, um I think there is a minor danger here that I was also guilty of of mixing up World War One and World War Two. Oh, damn but it. Right. General, but generally the oh, feeling that you're going goodness. for of it was a horrible fight where the little guys are being pounded by artillery mm. w- from that world war 
setup is definitely what they were going for. Yeah, but I also wonder if I was to watch it now, if I could like pick out if they've actually, you know, directly lifted like particular images of battle for the use of their movie. Because it, it, there was a familiarity to it. Like I've not, I've never, I don't know if there have been any other beach battles in Star Wars. No, I think this was quite a new environment. So, um, so it, it definitely evoked like, um, like much older, like feelings. So I don't, maybe, maybe they're. It did look a bit more like us. an old war movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A certain bit. So, but I remember, I remember that because I remember thinking, "Whoa, this looks pretty like close to." And they seem to do that. The last, like the last movie, like they seem to be referencing like that sort of war history quite a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot of imagery, the same. Um, they used a lot of like Nazi type stuff, and they still have sort of like uniforms which really evoke yeah, definitely, that. Definitely. And, and I find that really confusing because. Obviously, back when this was originally made, we weren't that far away from from that being our history. So if you were going to watch it, see, with your granny and granddad, because that was their viewing, they'd maybe, you know, have very different feelings about particular scenes because it would maybe make them think of how terrible that was. But it's really strange that they're continuing to um, to use that or borrow that. Um, it's... It kind of that follows song. on from the originals as well, where even the sort of um, space battles were supposed to be like, um, you know, Spitfires and fighter planes and things um, going at it in the sky. I think that was that was quite an influence on Lucas when he when he wanted to have that kind of those those did, space battles. Do, do we do we know if his family have like close connections or are connected to to the wars? Probably. I'm going to have to Google it. <laughs> He's the right age. <laughs> well, I mean, because I just mean, like, he, he doesn't, it doesn't seem to be moving away from that. Well, you he think... didn't have anything to do with this one. Hmm. Okay. But I think that they, that, that sort of influence was in the f- first trilogy. Maybe not well in this, it might have been in the prequel trilogy, but it, it's definitely sort of come back in The Force Awakens and in mm-hmm. Rogue One. Yeah, definitely. Because there is the space battle in, in this one as well, when the the Rebel Alliance, who had decided not to do anything when Jin was trying to get them to go after the plans, suddenly all say, "All right, we're taking the fleet and we're going <laughs> to go and help out." They kind of changed their minds quite quickly. Yeah. What do you think, Aaron? You're being pretty quiet. I was letting you talk. It was interesting chat. I don't. I don't need. <laughs> don't need to hear the sound of my own voice just for that. You do because well, I do because I never know if I'm like going off in like some major tangent well let's if i if i try and pick up on something you said then if they were trying to do a space battle i wonder if they were forced to try and use our knowledge of world war one and world war two to give us the context because if they'd have tried to have done a battle in a different way we might have just thought it was weird or silly so do they? Do people, when they're creating films like this, have to use our assumptions of what we think a battle would look would like it, to actually make it seem believable? Hold on. Hold on. So. Why would it be weird or silly? Because if you, well, if you did, say you did a, a fight between X-Wings and TIE Fighters, 
and you tried to make it as different as possible to the World War dogfights, then might it have seemed too abstract and therefore not a believable fight scene? Whereas if you connect it to the dogfights that we got taught about in school, that we've seen in war movies, that part of our brain can say, yeah, I believe this is a desperate fight between two sides mm -hmm. and yeah. one of them is going to come on top and the other is going to die horribly. And, well, and, and I'm what there. Do other part movies of it. Do? What do other movies do? I mean, I know other movies make it more like animalistic where it's like predators and, and, and use like that sort of influence rather than like real. Well, I think if they've got humans involved, if it's purely a human fight and they've already put in, politics and and large armies then i think they they are trying to do yeah. something very similar so yeah the, like there's no denying it well, like yeah. battlestar galactica uses um that sort of dogfighting and it, it i think it's pretty much the same thing and you definitely see galactica itself as an aircraft carrier mm -hmm. and the only things that i've seen are slightly different are shows that was it i don't know now i'm trying to think babylon 5 that used spacecraft they tried to make it more realistic by having four jet engines spaced quite far away from the cockpit so they could try and make more realistic spinning of the fighters or something like that but but still when they were going at full speed i think it was it was pretty much dogfighting like you'd expect yeah. from yeah. from a spitfire from the 40s mm -hmm. maybe it's just all we know Maybe well, I think it just... helps you to identify with it, and it gives you it can kind of you can connect to it on that on a sort of familiar level. Um, gives you that sort of feeling of of jeopardy and the the sort of close quarters battle, mm -hmm. even though it's happening in what's probably quite a vast area of space. Yeah, if they tried to do something where there was infinite distance between the ships because it was that big space, would there be a lot of us going? Well, they're not there together yet, and there's this mm -hmm. one group of people fighting here, and the other groups of people are fighting several miles away. It would have been a bit 2001 Space Odyssey, where it's just, and you watch space for 10 minutes. Wait, 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 wait. I still haven't seen that movie, and I know that I've said in a previous podcast that I definitely would. If um, you intend to direct films, watch it. Otherwise, <laughs> I wouldn't worry about it. I think that's what you said the last time. It is, I'm afraid so. Um, isn't it weird? Isn't it weird that they have like the entirety of space and yet they all hang out in the same bit that's just the, that's just star wars though isn't it, but they isn't all, it everyone always ends up in the same place but it's but it's weird like maybe it's human that people want to come together yeah yeah but also really strange like there's so much there's so much of space true but i think that in in this film in particular, you know, you've got the fighting on the beaches, you've got the dogfighting going on above them. It all helps make it feel as if it's all part of one battle, one struggle. I want to find out what happens when, maybe in a future one, um, the biggest person who's going around kicking shit up um, like, will be an even bigger baddie, you know, that's dominating multiple, multiple galaxies. And everything. So who's the who's the bad guy above Darth Vader? What's his name? The Emperor. Yeah, the Emperor. That guy. Well, he's just the Emperor of like one tiny bit. Oh. Do we think that they may introduce don't, like some sort of don't let super... him hear you say that? 
Like, oh, she's like, like the emperor of like the empire. Isn't that sort of big? Yeah, but like yeah. that could be like how we consider. I don't know. Well, we don't. That know could be like any... the size of Iceland. No, in space. we don't know. We don't know if there's anything else beyond the empire. No well, offense, but, I, I, but think... beyond the, the outer rim. But do you think? Do you think that they will introduce like someone far greater on the levels of like the Doctor Strange massive blob thing that becomes like all encompassing? Dear God, I hope not. That would be awful. No, I don't think they would. But there must be someone greater than the Emperor. Like there must be like don't something. Don't be bringing religion here. into this. There's no need for that. <laughs> but do not think like maybe maybe oh my God maybe it'll become about religion. It's science versus maybe, magical. Maybe again. like the Empire. <laughs> maybe the Empire and the Emperor are like one part and maybe we're going to see like you know like you were saying earlier they may introduce us like to a whole new story and then maybe we'll have eight movies of that and then eventually I can't see they'll, um, they'll crash into each other i think i think we understand the star wars galaxy on a certain level and i think everything is going to take place on that level there's no more galaxies there might be but i don't think that it's i don't think that there's going to be sort of interdimensional <laughs> being or you know indescribable horrors why not well it could be but i just don't see it going that way i hope it doesn't go that way i think that suits the genre of superheroes and uh fantasy but not space opera as is keep it about <laughs> people yeah. well you see this now in about eight movies maybe you'll think differently well, if it, see, do you know what I would like to see in some of these movies is something that I've only seen in Rebels because I've not read all the books and comics, so it's probably in them as well. But in in a later series of Rebels, they put in a third branch of the Force. So if you did want a bit more of a religious or, or should we just say spiritual side to it, I'd mm-hmm. quite like to see this third branch of the Force explored a bit where they are beings i think that recognize the light and the dark but don't try and sit in either so they're effectively either nothing or they're neutral and i thought they were the character i've seen there was quite interesting Mm -hmm. so wait a minute like isn't that what what's her face is in the force awakens the one that looks like that other character from the other movie oh maybe yeah actually force sensitive but but not one of them with big eyes i've forgotten her name already yeah, Mag, meh, meh, meh. Carol Lombard. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Maz Kanata. Maz, Maz, yeah. I knew it was like a meh. <laughs> um, yeah, because if it can exist in their comics, why can it not exist in the movies? Because it obviously exists as part of the universe now. Like, as soon as you put anything out connected to it, then I think it has to maybe be felt or seen in in any other... Um, what? I think you're right, and I think I would happily watch a film that is based in the universe using some of these concepts that isn't so connected to the fall of the Empire, set it at a different time, or just set it in a different place, and show us how other people of completely different types are dealing with the problems that are clearly going on and and must be affecting the whole galaxy. And then we'll see their planet get blown up by the Death Star from episode whatever, and I'll, I'll be linked again. Well, I I agree. I think that I think that the most interesting things they could do would be or, totally original or you know unconnected. I just fear that we're just going to get 
spin-offs and kind of origin stories and things that you know I'll probably get hyped up for when they're when they're about to come out and because you know Donald Glover is Lando who doesn't want to see that <laughs> but uh but yeah I don't I just don't get the impression that they're going to go too out there with with many of the additional films unless further down the line I got I mean I was pretty excited when when episode 7 came out but and I really enjoyed it but I don't know I felt like Rogue One was kind of going to pass me by I don't know I wasn't I don't know I I don't know how, how I feel about it Maybe this this thing like Rogue One then it is just going to be a bridging film. It's cl- connected to the old stories, but they're slowly trying to move us away from it. Like in the Marvel Universe, Doctor Strange is just like teasing the- out a bit of magic yeah. just to but- see if we'll accept it, and then it will move further <laughs> away. It wasn't the first one to have magic. Let's remind ourselves of that. But also, I don't I don't agree with what you said because. It can't be teasing us away from Star Wars and the stories that we know when it's focusing so much on a huge part of the plot of one of the first ones. Plus, well, all is the, it? Sorry. Uh, whatever their release schedule is like, they're going to have you know your Star Wars story, then Episode Eight, the next year, then the next year there'll be another side story, and then the next year will be the sort of conclusion to the new trilogy, and. I don't know, yeah, it seems as if until the saga is sort of finally complete, it doesn't seem like they'll, they'll be able to stray too much from it because everything else will have to tie in somehow or just in, just for cynically marketing purposes, they'll have to, you know, everything's going to somehow be part of the familiar until maybe we get to a point where that's when they decide right now we can finally kind of branch out and, and explore something a bit different. Um, yeah. And what else have we got here? Other Star Wars stories. I think we've said what we want to see from the future. Um, We haven't talked about the music. And I remember in um, The Force Awakens, totally loving music. Yeah, like all of it. It's just like, it was just amazing. I've got it on Spotify. Like, I love listening to it. But I don't really remember, like, a lot of the music. I'm sure there was some. Yeah, I I, I agree. I, I remember coming out of the film and not really remembering any of the themes or much of the score. Like it didn't kind of mm. stick with me in the same way as obviously the Force Awakens has the kind of familiar Force theme and stuff as well. So it, yeah, it's easier for you yeah. to remember that, that. Do you think that that that's a new a new thing that they're moving into with the side stories? Well, I think this was the first one that wasn't scored by John Williams, so <laughs> that. Probably why. I'm really sad then because I didn't know that, and I was I was maybe like thinking that it like gone past me or I'd missed it, and but I don't know, it's kind of sad. I'm but... open. I'm open to you know non John Williams scores because obviously he's not going to be able to do it forever. Oh, but no, I just think they'll bring him back like Peter Cushing. I wonder again. If... <laughs> <laughs> they'll find a way. Life, Life finds, finds a way. <laughs> I just wonder if it'll grow on me because it's not as familiar as everything else. That yeah, know. I think that's what I liked about it when when we went to see it was that it was kind of familiar, but everything was different, and so that made it a bit exciting. Um, but then you know, kind of where the story fit into everything else. Um, but it still retained some sort of like new elements to it. 
I feel like I've been a bit overly harsh only because I really couldn't remember a lot of the story, but I do remember that I did enjoy that newness to yeah. it. I think there's tons to like about it, and I think mm. that I, I'm probably being a bit critical as well. Yeah, no, I um, think But I do, you know, I can't deny the fact that the Force Awakens kind of got me in a in a sort of visceral way, and I just mm-hmm. didn't get the same. It just didn't get grabbed the same way by by Rogue One, even though I really enjoyed it, and I you know enjoy spending time in that universe and seeing you know there's all the sort of fan servicey bits and the way it kind of links up directly to. Star Wars and you hope it, it you know that yeah. just every, I, there were certain things about it I really liked and there were just some bits of it that just didn't seem to uh, didn't latch on to quite as much and Aaron I didn't have time to process the the whole bit with Leia at the end because that so the movie ends with her yeah right and she's talking about how we can have hope and that like something like that's all we've got or something and it is incredibly poignant and because everyone else has just died we know that Leia is going to become more in the future of those movies in the past and um, and then as soon as, as soon like we stepped, I was stepping out of the cinema and a friend of ours was like oh, you know, she's just died and we were like the fuck It was so sad and it made me like so so sad because we'd literally just seen like you know her CGI young Leia CGI young Leia like uh, I don't know what I'm doing there with anyway Craig will edit it but we saw her CGI'd looking looking all young and weird but still she was there and and then you were like we don't have hope because she's dead <sighs> yeah but yeah. <laughs> and they're now, and they're gonna have to do like loads of like rewrites and change the stories, like what's gonna happen, like so everything that we might think might happen with the next couple of movies. It's all gonna be targeted. It's all instead. gonna get it's all gonna get changed because <laughs> all the layers she'd finished she'd finished <laughs> she'd finished eight though, right? She'd finished episode eight. But they'd introduced I think a huge storyline for her for um probably going from eight to nine. And now, and now they're going to have to change a whole lot of that. And I I didn't hear anything about it. I'm not yeah, no. It. Apparently, it's like apparently it's like um, it's going to cause some some bother. It's going to be Paul Walker, Fast and Furious Seven so, all over again. And um, and I think that that's a shame because we won't know if you know what. I guess it's like what could have been. I wonder how they handle it though, because um, I suppose it's a bit like the spoilers for. Paul Walker in Fast and Furious, but his character ends up. You think you knew that he died during the filming, so they didn't have it complete and they didn't have a, an ending for his character. But he kind of rides off into the sunset rather than dying in the film, which would have been a bit uh, morbid as he died in real life in a car crash. Um, so I wonder how they're going to deal with like Leia, um, kind of not being written out of the the film, but she's there's, they're going to have to deal with it somehow. So how do they? How do they move on from um, from the character in a sort of fitting way? Yeah, I think it'll be strange. It'll be strange to see, and um, but it could affect like so much. Like it's going to require a lot of work, I think, from the writers to to have them see the the movies made, you know, in the right way. If it's not going to be 
you know, the way that they first wanted it. So that's obviously like their primary choice. If mm-hmm. they can't have it, what are we getting? A secondary story? Well, they have to do a tribute to her because they won't want to do anything else. So it'll have to be something where we either hear about or see using one of the clips they've already got. Mm-hmm. She gets some sort of sad but meaningful parting or closure. And I imagine it'll have to be something to do with her son killing his own father where she retires into some state of sorrow because of this travesty and she won't be able to recover from it. And what her last scene is, I've no idea with that, but it'll have to be a a tribute in some fashion. Yeah. I just hope they handle it well. Yeah. Like that's the whole thing. Like you don't know now what lies in store for the the next movies because it's not going to be, the first choice of story it's going to be some sort of but maybe it'll be good maybe it'll shake it up a bit I don't know Who, who's to say we don't know alright so yeah <laughs> that's ended the, yeah we should wrap it up there stop, stop. yeah always end with the death yeah. yeah do you have do you have <laughs> do you have any final thoughts on Rogue One Aaron I could only summarise it and I think that Force Awakens was one that plays on the heart because it's that familiarity and yeah. it you, you can forgive a lot of sins because you feel so comfortable, even though there were some good things in it and I won't say I disliked it, but I think it automatically started out on a higher level than than a new story was going to because of that Whereas Rogue One for me played more in my head, made me interested right from that first scene. I, I, I felt like there was so much more for my brain to get involved in rather than just this joyride, which was, which was pleasurable. I don't think it really made me think loads. And there were a couple of things like that bit with the main character. She gives that speech in the, in the, in the place I wasn't expecting. And the, her final end fight on the top where she takes out the antenna somehow wasn't a big of an ending as I was expecting. Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to really like it because I thought it was a better place for the films to go to, to be in, but, but ultimately didn't quite become as amazing as I'd, I'd hoped. Not to keep this like going on and on forever and ever and ever, but do we think that it wasn't as big or as splendid um, as we had in our heads because if it had been this big and splendid and incredible thing then surely we'd have had some sort of reference to it in any of the other movies do you think it's supposed to be sort of like an anonymous I think it's supposed to be I think it's supposed to be that it's this little thing this little thing this little thing that has happened which could have happened 10 or 20 times um, by lots of different groups of people exactly like them well, I think oh, you're right you know, with that, but I think that still the personal loss to the individual four or five characters involved could have been huge, and that would have still fitted into this grand scheme of things, as you're saying. There could have been – what was the what's the line from one of the other films? So many bottoms died to bring us this information. And you can imagine their story of those people who brought this information would have been absolutely harrowing for those few spies that were doing it. 
Mm-hmm. So somehow well, I wanted to to hit hard, but not at a, a galactic fight scene level, but it, but somehow just that bit yeah. harder at a personal well, level. Well, I was trying to justify it, not being oh. fantastic. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was just one idea. Right. Um, yeah, sorry for interrupting. Again. How very dare you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I swear I do this all the time. Um, I don't have any other thoughts though. I I feel like I am going to have to watch again. Um, yeah, I think that. Um, um, we'll see what happens. That I I really want to like it as well. I I as I said, I didn't get the same gut reaction as I did to the Force Awakens, probably because it sort of went for this you know cheap uh, nostalgic um, heartstrings approach. Um, but I'm perfectly willing to to be. You know, impressed by it upon further rewatches and kind of get more into the nuances of the different mm-hmm. characters and things. I don't know if it's quite if it's quite there, but yeah, I think eventually it's going to be pretty highly regarded, and, and along with the other films as well. Um, I, you know, you can't do much worse than the prequels. So it, compared to those, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it was already already started off pretty well. So. Um, I tried to watch episode two over Christmas, and and my brother was like, "No, like let's just skip it." And he was showing, he was introducing his girlfriend to Star Wars for the first time, and he was like, oh, "I'm going to start with like this one." I was like, "You've got to start it. Like you've got to watch all of them. You can't just go from three, like from four, five, six to seven. I was like, "You need to have seen the first three. Um no. And huh. he put on like episode just two. Now. And we were just like, why? Why is this on? This is, oh, it was so boring and it just took forever to get anywhere. And then we were like, let's just, let's just put episode seven on because it's brought. Rogue One was definitely not that. <laughs> yeah, so I suppose if it's always compared to it against that, then it's fine. <laughs> um, and I have an apology to make, which I hope Craig doesn't edit out, but I'm really sorry that every time that we podcast, I eat. Because I get really snackish and I can't help myself. And then whenever I get asked a question, I've normally got food in my mouth. And I feel like it's really rude. Oh. <laughs> That's just my confession. We'll, because we'll end with that confession then. Can I don't Thank you for sharing. <laughs> just wanted to get that out there because I've, I told myself I'm not going to have any snacks. And, and I can't not have snacks. You're one with the food. The food is with you. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Anyone else wants to confess? <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye, Aaron. It was lovely. Well, that wraps up our discussion of Rogue One. If you haven't listened to the alternate universe version featuring Kat, Craig, and Chris, I highly recommend it. Remember, you can find us on iTunes or wherever good podcasts are sold.